Welcome to the Thrill of Driving podcast. Now, actually, we should change this name of the podcast to the Evo India podcast because today we are going to be talking about Royal Enfield. Royal Enfield have just launched the Hunter 350. Adil, he was there in Bangkok at the launch, as were tons of journalists from India. All of them are raving about the motorcycle. One of the sweetest Royal Enfield motorcycles out here, Adil. It's the lightest Royal Enfield in decades. So it's the lightest Royal Enfield in decades. And, we'll come and, and talk the about light, and the bike uh, Royal Enfield with the smallest wheels in decades as well. Lightest and smallest wheels. So we'll talk about the Hunter 350 towards the end of this podcast. This podcast is talking about the journey of Royal Enfield, and that also is a good point and good time to introduce Adil. Adil, uh, I've written it down here. On the 26th of August, Adil will complete 45 years in Indian automotive journalism. Forty-five years. I remember reading about Adil when I was in short pants. I think the first issue of Car India, Car and Bike International. I bought it when I was twelve years old or something. I remember it was a green cover with the sumo on it. There was the contest also on it. Twelve years old when we were forty-five years young. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been reading Adil's work for ages. I've been fortunate enough to start off in this industry under Adil's aegis and tutelage as a lot of journalists in India. That's Adil here, and we have Rishad Cooper. on my right for those of you watching this on youtube and also listening to rishad you'll be listening to a lot more of rishad rishad is our new biking editor at fastbikes a consulting biking editor and he's also been testing a lot of motorcycles in fact rishad you started off at autocar in 2003 you started off at a garage in 1996 but you started off with adil's brother in his garage when 1994 1994 second 1994 so 29 years 29 years so rishad has been in the business for 29 years i've only been in the business for 22 years so that's why today i'm only going to moderate i started off at overdrive under adil and my favorite bikes back then were royal enfield so whenever i could i would <laughs> hog the royal enfield and everybody was happy to give me the royal enfield not that there were too many royal enfield there was one royal enfield launched maybe once a year which broke down 10 times a year but three years with some color variations so lot of history geography to this episode this is actually a very very interesting story a story of an indian manufacturer obviously british origins but an indian manufacturer that is growing global like you would not believe royal enfields now are all over the world the earlier media ride was in california the last media ride was in bangkok they are international they are global by any standards and in india they are a mass market manufacturer so adil we start off with you history of royal enfield where do you want to start see the thing is that royal enfield came into india after independence because uh, we the government was socialist it said only three manufacturers in three different capacities and so by virtue of being a british brand so 350 cc was the smallest which the british brands could go at that time a good days you know 350 was the smallest <laughs> no but then uh, they also had the crusader which was 250 and what not but they were two stroke so we needed a four stroke the bullet did the job for the army mm-hmm. more importantly because uh, the army needed india didn't have roads at that time and as you will see progressive uh, progressively that as india's evolution took place where from utility to enthusiast as the journey happened many people found virtue in that utility and use that stuff to try to climb mountains mm-hmm. lay being a uh, royal enfield stronghold mm-hmm. so the bike chugged along it was little low on torque at the top end but it had enough in the mid and low ends to just go along so royal enfield in that sort of it also what do you call i have a throwback to our hindu mythology mm-hmm. only by suffering will you attain nirvana <laughs> so the royal enfield made you go through that you suffered you overhauled the whole engine when you ran from pune to the himalayas and back it you climbed there you were satisfied and you came back and again you reserviced the whole bike so you most were of, most people did not come back from the himalayas they came back but they did not come back with the bike with the, the bike, bike yeah, followed yeah, later yeah, on yeah so yeah so this is the penance they had to what you call put in so when uh, and within the face of the indo jap onslaught from the mid 80s royal enfield suddenly became a misnomer people didn't know what to do there was this one whole thing about the dudwala bike the army bike and then suddenly you found 
someone made a start and started exporting bullets to Europe. And the most important buyers in Europe were women mm-hmm. for the Royal Enfield. And this was when? 30 years ago? Women found the bike very, very easy and docile to ride. Here, it was completely different. It was supposed to be macho. I know. Yeah, they, so, so these was, European women who were buying the bike, yeah, <laughs> there must have been something else. No, even today, no, even today, the hunter, when they spoke about, it is going to cater to a lot of women globally. And that is so, exactly... So, what I'm saying is, let's not digress, let's get to the bullet first. So, they started doing that. And then, they started learning what is lacking in the bike manifestly. Because here, we were too timid to tell the Royal Enfield guys. And by that time, the company had made... At that time, it was not Royal Enfield. It was Enfield India, which used to make Royal Enfield badge bullets. Mm-hmm. They went into consumer electronics, whatnot, and they went bankrupt virtually. And that is when uh, the Lakshman, the fam- Lakshman family, which owned Royal Enfield then, decided to sell off to uh, Aishar, uh, Siddharth Lal's father. They were close uh, family friends. So, uh, and the plan was for that brand new factory they had made to make the Zundap range of two-stroke bikes, which also didn't take off would be going on to make tractors for Aisha in down south, so Aisha would have a thing. And then that's all that sort of stuff, the changeover happened, tractors started being produced. But then what do you do with the bullet which was still there? That was given to Siddharth Lal as a test piece for him to cut his teeth. When he did that... Year 1999? Around about the 98, 90, 98, 99, 2000. So, and he started grappling. He, he, with the situation. It was good. A youngster, motorcycles. It was a very, very good combination. But he was all at sea because... And they were struggling at that. Of course. They were, they they, were, they, they, they the, were absolutely... The numbers were down. No, no. They were absolutely rock bottom. So there was no question. Around this time, the Pulsar had come out 2002. Uh, and Pulsar set the pace for modern sporty bikes in India. Other they were going to shut down, right? Who? Aisha, they were going to sell off Royal Enfield, yes, right? Yes, yes. But then... Uh, Wasn't there like a board mandate given to Siddharth that you have till this time yes, to do yes, something? Yes, So, what had happened is, see, any company, it's not about what machinery you have or... It's about the human capital. The human capital there was very poor. They were still... I remember I used to go to the Tiruvutuyur plant and even the air smelled as if it was from the 1950s. <laughs> they were so far behind. Archaic, they never, the resistance to change was massive. They thought that, oh, we are macho, we have to do it. It would, uh, Rishad knows about spewing oil. It cannot be British if it doesn't leak. <laughs> so that, and they held on to these attributes and they never would want to let it go. And it had to vibrate. So because... <laughs> it had to vibrate. It had to vibrate. Every... <laughs> You give you a massage. I, I want to talk out. about the people who were buying the export motorcycles, but I won't go there. No, 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 uh, and uh, even uh, we had Royal Enfields in our fleet in Car and Bike International, then Overdrive. Every after every two three weeks, you have to get down and tighten the engine bolts and whatnot. Every time it had to happen, otherwise the bike would be all over the place. But that's the beauty of the brand. Yeah, I know, but I but I am not a firm believer in uh, penance and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened then was one other gentleman joined the company. That was R L Ravi Chandran. He was formerly from TVS. Then he went to Bajaj. He and Rajiv Bajaj made the Pulsar thing. They were really R L R was the genius in the marketing. After he left, he left Bajaj because of his health problems. He wanted to uh, go back to his hometown, Madras. And that is where uh, Sid and RLR got together. And RLR set the template for what uh, Royal Enfield should be doing. He was helped in a certain way by trying to go and meet a lot of evolved motorcyclists. Not the macho uh, guys who took the bike went to the Himalayas and came back so and suddenly said, I'm King Kong. He didn't meet those. He met the evolved... What do you want from a four-stroke motorcycle? Mm-hmm. Around that time, they... So they kept... The biggest thing was they experimented quite a lot. They went to AVL. They did something because the 
didn't know first what was emission regulations and for a 1930s single cylinder engine to be made relevant for 2002-2003 VS2 regulations was a big thing. So avian UCL. No, so after that, first the unit construction. That came later, so AVL. So AVL did that lean burn engine. Then they went to they went to Fritz Egli, whom and I'd seen Fritz Egli do his bikes. He did a 535cc single, he did a 645cc single, and those bikes were done very well. But I remember yeah. reading about that in yes, Overdrive. This was yes. before I joined yes. Overdrive. So it must so, have been 99 or yeah. Swiss. Swiss. Swiss yeah. 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 So I'd gone there to, and Fritz Egli was very much in love with Royal Enfields. He had come down to India also, but he was of a performance bet, and Royal Enfield didn't understand performance, how to take out. Two big things about the bike was, the lump was very heavy, the suspension geometry was for a different era, the tyre sizes were for a completely different era, and plus the frame geometry and whatnot, again was archaic. How do you do that? How do you overcome that? So slowly, slowly they started like how Bajaj could not take on Hero Honda. So he said, we'll outflank that. So Royal Enfield also with RLR and all that. Let's go away from bullet, keep the bullet as it is and have extensions of it. So you had the Thunderbird, you had uh, some other variant, the Machismo, God knows what it was. So Adil, I started off at Overdrive when the Machismo came out. So that I was know, one I of the first bikes that, you, yeah, one of the first bikes. Of course, for you. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was the best bike you could have. Because those days, all these 125cc four-strokes were just coming. Fury. No Yamaha YD125. <laughs> Who wants to ride a Yamaha YD125 when you have the Machismo? Machismo, it had this, It I remember our bike was maroon, maroon. with lot of chrome maroon. on it. And Sachin Chavan, who that time was at Overdrive, he left and he was at Rolling for the longest time. He was the one who actually did that whole rides community. Uh, so he had put a rocket, yeah, Rider Mini and all. So he had put a rocket exhaust, that is what it was called at that time, which made a racket like you would not believe. It started in Pune and a uh, glass plane in Dadar would uh, fall down. So it was that loud, but it was so cool. It would give you tons of problems. It was really cool. So I have a lot of memories of the Majismo, but I want to toss to you, Rishal. This was around the same time that you got into motoring journalism. Of course, you were at the garage. So, garage mein you must have had tons of bullets coming. So, what was your initial experiences and memories of Rolling Field? My initial memories are quite strange actually because I remember joining Autoka in the same, at around the same time and we had a long-term bike which came in. And there was this mad rush and everyone was like fighting for the bike and I was like, you know, this is alright, you know, this... And, one of our good friends. You, but did you own yeah. it? No, I, I really <laughs> honestly didn't. And Osip Chako uh, literally captured that bike and made it his own baby. Uh, uh, and every two, three weeks, uh, Osip would come into the office and, and he would tell us that, oh, you know, the bike stopped and it's gone to the garage. And then a call would come from the garage. And it seized, you know. And after another one, two months, it would come back. And again, and this went on. And after about a year, that bike had seized five times. <laughs> And at some point, of course, Royal Enfield phoned and said, look, one year's over and, you know, let's get the bike back. And so we all told Osip, like, you know, the bike needs to go back. And also it's like, I want to buy the bike. So I said, Osip, why do you want to buy the bike? It's seized five times. And, you know, this was like a, a slow awakening for me because from the garage days where I'd seen them breaking down, and you know they drip good oil you, like it was said. good revenue for you, no? <laughs> yes, and they drip oil like yeah. you can't imagine. Yes, I know. And then you start understanding that there, there's something about these bikes, Royal Enfield, which is there's nothing, no other bike manufacturer in the world who who has this USP, where you know that you're buying a bike which is going to give you trouble, it's going to seize on you, it may break down on you, X, Y, Z. There is one word to describe it. Character. Character, <laughs> but you tell the man that look, this is your better option. The better bike is cheaper, it's gonna go, it's not reliable, no problem. It's a Honda, it's a this, it's a Yamaha. But they'll go and buy the Royal Enfield. And after some time, you realize that this is something unmatched. It's a drug. It's a drug. It's something Nothing, that. No, no bike. It's also a factor of the times that we were in. Because what other options did you have? The CBZ came later on, and that was, of but, course, cool. But 
with this you had something that was cool but looking CBC that felt still never exactly got dated, you so know? you did not have an option to the roll in field so the roll in field was the coolest at one time in fact for the longest time it was the fastest motorcycle you could buy when i think they launched the i think the lean burn engine if i'm mm, not mistaken yes, yes, yes. when we tested it it was the fastest, the fastest motorcycle correct. we had tested at overdrive roll in field which dates back to the 1930s so if you wanted all of that think, it was I only the roll in field must make a distinction here Royal Enfield is the brand. The bike which did it was the Bullet. So we, we'll, Royal Enfield's fortunes are with the Bullet. Hmm. So talk about the Bullet, and that is how. Which Royal Enfield does not talk about because yeah. once they yes, rebranded to Classic, it was like the whole Bullet chapter got they tried over. To, they tried to what you call uh, sidestep the Bullet, but it was still the Bullet. The real uh, change happened when they thought that yes, when they saw the success story of Triumph. Mm-hmm. and how a rejuvenated reinvented triumph came back on the scene and they saw that if triumph could make a success story of this for a british brand if harley davidson with all its agricultural beatings could still what you call captivate audiences why not go down that route and it was once they thought about it that way that is when they started saying okay let's look at what do we need to do the conti gt was a step in that direction so before we get to the conti gt uh, no 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 let's the, talk about the 650 okay we are talking about the uh, 535 uh, single, single. Uh, that was the really the big turning point that was the last manifestation of the bullet engine so to speak mm-hmm. at that time taken what fritz egli had done with his uh, 535 they adopted that same thought process they got a brand new frame Mm. the frame changed everything unfortunately the engine was on its last legs but we it, should remind our viewers that uh, rollinfield had a 350 as well as a 500 it was not yeah, just the 350 yeah so but 500 came later because the uh, european guys that 350 was too weak with mm. all the emission equipment for the longest time the 500 was only export yes it and was only absolutely yeah so they time. needed to, but then india also had body call woken up everyone wanted power So the 535 Conti GT single was fantastic to look at. Period styling, everything. It really handled well. I think probably the if anyone has ridden a BSA Gold Star and found the handling of that single cylinder bike, Royal Enfield finally attained the 1950s Gold Star handling with the 535 <laughs> Conti in 2012, 2013. So so that was the thing. So that from there they started thinking. that we need to get away from uh that engine lump because it was too heavy uh the internals were also so heavy when they didn't need to be okay metallurgy in the 30s was different metallurgy today is different and that's where they started thinking of a range of power plants having bought uh, Harris performance and that conti 535 gt chassis was all about Harris performance knowing how to iron out the single cylinder vibes mm-hmm. and the royal enfield bullet had more vibes than anyone could ever dream about <laughs> so to have arrested that on with that engine it was really a big leap forward sadly in india crouched sporty sort of thing at that time was too early people did i still have the 535 with me it's a wonderful bike and that's where they started thinking if we can do this sort of agile handling bikes very stable machines good under braking etc we have a future and that's when a whole range of engines and they also decided people matter harris performance got uh, assimilated into royal enfield then they decided britain was at the cornerstone of good design and engineering not manufacturing good design and engineering they never wanted to um, uh, what do you call get into bed with any other manufacturer like how bajaj had done getting the best experts from all over the world to join them and that's what sid went he, sid was let's talk about thing. let's talk about the steps that siddharth went through hmm. in transforming royal enfield so at the start okay forgive my phrase but it was a basket case yeah okay? uh, literally uh, it, it was, literally was like on the verge of being sold off and this was the project given to siddharth to turn it around how did he start where did he start first with rlr with rl ravichandran then what went into transforming this brand 
the key thing was he also needed finance. Mm. So let me. I don't think Royal Enfield will be very happy for me to uh, put this. But the guy who's there right now at uh, Classic Legends was his partner there. Mm-hmm. He brought the finance there, and both of them, Anupam Thareja, mm. both Anupam is also a very avid uh, motorcyclist. They both were very close friends, and they got that thing going. Finance was pumped in, thought was, and a lot of the biggest thing was, we have been telling uh, Royal Enfield even before the Aisha takeover to switch the gear shifter from the right to the left. Mm. I remember, and you can see it in an issue of Car and Bike International. They had got an order for 500 uh, 500 cc bullets for Canada. And uh, in North America, no bikes with right foot gear shifting were allowed. Mandatory is always left and left foot. We helped at Car and Bike and we helped engineer the change from right to left with a lot of uh, agricultural levers. It was a pain, but it worked. So, there was this, like I told you, there's an enemy within Royal Enfield when Siddharth took over. No, no, we don't want to change races. The key thing was they wanted to keep their bullet clientele happy. Mm. But they were keeping the whole world away from the bullet. Mm -hmm. I remember Adil and me stepped out after dinner and we were sitting outside the hotel because it was a lovely cool night in London. And Siddharth stepped out and we were, three of us were sitting and at some point we asked him that what was the, you know, what is the change that he pushed through? What was his vision? Because Mm. there had to be something Mm. where in 2000 he was absolutely looking at a company at the bottom end of the barrel and then he picks it up and Mm. Mm. brings it to where it is. Where, yes, the classic 350 was the one that really came out in 2010 or 2009, whenever it was. But uh, what was that, you know, that one or two things, the key things that he did? And he, he did say that perhaps the single most important thing was to push through bringing the gear lever to the standard left side from the right side because he believed that this was the key mm. to making his product, taking it worldwide and taking it, you know, to the next level. Because yes, while the Royal Enfield guys were gung-ho on having it the right side and we have Puritan, but he knew that he's blocking out the whole, the rest of the whole world, as Adil says, mm. very rightly. No, from that, the thing is that no one would buy it because legislation Correct. would not allow them to be sold. Correct. And also in terms of mindset, no? in fact, Absolutely. maybe we should talk about what a original bullet was like to ride. When you compare it with a modern motorcycle. Probably only Adil would know. <laughs> amongst the, the, amongst the, the, early, the early bullets were much simpler and much... Because they, they were not in, uh, encumbered by any emission mm. uh, gadgetry on that. Mm. Clean, uh, one, what do you call, carburetor, open, uh, full-throated, uh, single-cylinders. Uh, single cylinder. No, and you had an exhaust... Also with no cat converters mm, and whatnot. Mm, mm. Bike was lighter also at that time, com- relatively speaking. Mm. And uh, it was easier to ride given the era of it uh, in which it was built. And that legendary bullet thump. What yes. was that thing all about? The, the thump was there. It, it was a slow firing engine. Long mm. stroke. So, long stroke. Because and it was a long and uh, the British press used to marvel at the thing that the exhaust note would happen at a certain speed, at if you had 60 kilometers per hour, and the distance of each uh, lamp post, mm. so it would fire from lamp post to lamp post. Thump, thump, thump. That is, <laughs> so that is how. So and sound plays a oral exhaust uh, audio plays a big role in motorcycling, even in sure. even in uh, cars and whatnot. But but on the bike you can feel yeah, that you can it's feel that absolutely noise plus between your no, legs no, is going thump no no thump, no, thump. no not just that it was very melodious thump it mm. was not mm. like you see rock music it's noise I don't think it's music it's rocks Q eight from rock <laughs> yeah. music level. so so the thing is that it was melodious as well certain things like the early Harley's also had that they lost that also so the key thing is to keep that exhaust audio going. It was a very big thing for Royal Enfield to do that. But then as we progressed... Were the bikes too heavy? They were... At that time, it was supposed to be... uh, What metallurgy was there? Even the Javas and the uh, Rajduts were 
very much in that mold, you know. Even though they were two strokes, the difference between the two bikes were hardly about 20-25 kilos. Mm -hmm. But 20-25 kilos is big. Mm -hmm. And the knack of starting a four-stroke against a two-stroke, very different. So, I wanted to get to that. I even wrote Mm -hmm. it out here. What was it like to kickstart a bullet? Could you dislocate your hip? Yeah, you could. Because at that time, uh, the ignition systems were again very, you could manually do advanced retard. Points. You, uh, points. So there was two, it was a throwback to a and different era. It had a decompressor. It had a decompressor. Had a de- so, yeah, Rishan, you had to decompress. You had to decompress. You didn't. Yeah, so that, right. Then you would be in outer space. So, so, so Rishan, let's run through how you kick-started a bullet with this decompressor. Well, you just had, you had to, you had to push it down and mm. press the lever at the same time and the next kick you had to, you and you had to leave the decompressor. Leave the decompressor and kick it, and mm. it would uh, start. Mm. And you had to be hope so. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> but otherwise you tried again. No, but if you didn't decompress it, yeah, yeah. and you did it, it would give you a kickback somewhere. Mm. And, and uh, very hard. another thing also, another thing also, motorcycling in India. Uh, so many people would what you call make it as a, as a big task to take the bullet on and off the stand. It was not. It was not. It was the the yeah, thing yeah, it was, yeah, it was not. But there was this phobia in mind. Mm. Only real men can take it on and off the stand. It's such a bit of hogwash. Like I told you, the women in Europe found the bullet to... They were the biggest customers for the bullets in the early going. So, this is how it is. Those 80s European women... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's, Richard, come let's, back, let's come back to the dinner. The dinner uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was that, there was that second thing that yeah. he told us, which which got left out here, was uh, he he told Adelini that uh, he wanted to bring about change, and he found himself up against this wall in Chennai, and he decided that he's going to just take it all to UK and yeah. and do it there, and that's really paid off, right? Yeah, you see yeah. the. You see it today. The, the products are just mind-blowing compared to where they were. Mm. There's all kinds of change and on every front. I, I think only perhaps the only one place I think Royal Enfield needs to focus and could really make a big change to their whole product lineup is everything needs to be, every bike needs to be 20 kilos lighter. Mm. And, and we'll have real winners, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the... Uh, and and the, on the subject of uh, weight, any bike, really speaking, whatever be the weight, if it is light on the move, mm. then that's okay. Mm. There are lots of uh, you Hondas, 750cc Hondas, you take a cafe racer sort of full out bike, you find when you take it off the stand, get across, it is heavy. On the move, look at the Honda CB750 Hornet. She's so she's like a pulsar, a 750cc lightweight pulsar. So you need to what you call only confront yourself with the weight as long as it's distributed well. And mm-hmm. weight distribution is so the earlier bullets, the weight was very much higher, very differently. The geometry was different. You look at the front forks, look at the geometry, you look at the rake. It was all against modern thinking. It was good for its time, but when you had Five six decades of progress, it was archaic. So I'm down, down on rim size now. No, now the, the hunter, hunter with the hunter. Seventeen inches for the, the hunter. So we'll talk about the hunter. Uh, I also want to talk about the UK tech center. But before that, let's talk about the man. No, we've talked about Siddharth Lal, Siddharth Lal, Siddharth Lal. Siddharth Lal as a person, how he's transformed the company that everybody knows. But what's he like as a person? Because we've hung out with car and bike company CEOs. Now CXOs, I think the most amazing thing about him is he's totally hands-on on the uh, on the bikes himself he will come on he's one of the only uh, top owners of the company you won't mm. even put him into that ceo mm. he's the owner and mm. he rides with the journalists mm. on must, the launch must, he listens tell, to you i must tell you one you know? very important i must tell that, you one very important unique. i think uh, maybe uh, i think it was 2001 or 2002 after the pulsar had come out and all that and I was visiting him at his plant in uh, Chennai. Chennai. And he says, and it was really that you could make out. He wanted change to happen and all that. So, we were, it was a freewheeling discussion, just him, me and I think there was one other person. I don't uh, remember his name. And then I said, Siddharth, 
how many of your managers ride the, your own bikes? He says, what do you mean by that? I said, unless and until they don't ride, they will not know what crappy stuff they are putting out. How to make so, it. No, no. Ha, so, so he says, what do you do? I said, one day on a, I said, when is your weekly office? Saturday, Sunday is when the weekly office. So on one Saturday, you be, don't tell any of your manufacturer, uh, managers, prepare 10, 15 bikes, get helmets, keep it ready. He did that. He says, I'll, I'm calling and we were there. And he called the 12, 15 managers of the different departments and said, we are riding. Half of them could not put the bike off the stand. The other half who did were struggling to fire the bike into life. That is what taught him a big lesson. Mm. I think by, and it sent a, the word right down to the rank and file of the company. If you don't know your product, you don't ride your product. And I think that stayed, that hit home very strongly. And uh, motorcycling is such where if you, the more you do, the more you enjoy it. Mm. And if you don't do, you'll never know mm. what are the dynamics of, it's not about going fast. It is about being one with the bike. And the Royal Enfield character was being one with the bike. And you don't want to go fast. You don't, you cannot go, not, you cannot go. Yeah. It cannot go. You can go fast. But, <laughs> yeah. but it, they made to, you, you know, you enjoy that. True. true. So, so that, like I told you, that thump every blackboard. <laughs> so this is the thing. And I think that is when the uh, surround around the bike, he said, okay, how do we make it a cult bike? Because Harley was a big thing in front of them. Harley was the, Harley's balance sheet showed 55% of Harley's revenues in the early 2000s came from their apparel and merchandise. And RLR and Sid thought that, yes, this is a chance to what you call do. So they started investing in community they started investing in getting all these roughnecks on bullets who go to lay. Yeah, they don't call me a roughneck. Well, you I'm just a delicate flower. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all these so guys. We'll, we'll talk about the community yeah. because I've made a note of that also. Yeah. But just coming back to uh, Siddharth, not only was he smart, hmm. okay, not only did he have a business and engineering mind, he also was a cool representation of the brand. I remember one of our first awards where we invited him. Obviously, he was not going to win any damn award with those bikes. But he came. Huh? And he was game enough to come even though he was not coming to collect an award. And everybody else were in suits. Down to the last person, everybody was in suits, including us bloody journalists. That means Rajiv Bajaj wasn't there at your award. This was after, no. this was after the Pulse. <laughs> so, this was before the Pulse. Before the Pulse came out. And he came with his curly, gelled hair, uh, in a, with his beard. In a leather jacket. I don't know if that time he had a beard, but I remember for a fact that he wore a leather no, he didn't, jacket. He didn't have a beard, but he, but was he wore a leather, Yeah, he wore a leather jacket. Scruffy like, leather jacket. Man, look at this guy. He had what ample charms around his yeah, wrist. Yeah. <laughs> and you no, know, we are wearing suits and all of that, looking like idiots. And look at this guy. And that was the whole image. He didn't care about what others were like. He was himself. Motorcyclists are like that. Actually speaking, motorcyclists are like but that. But brave also, no? Well, the thing is that. What you see is what you get with motorcyclists. And uh, he was coming. We had made overdrive to be one of enthusiasts. So he knew that he was coming mm. to enthusiasts. Mm. So in that sort of sense, plus, let's not forget, that was the first time we incepted a, a Hall of Fame thing. And we gave yes. two uh, Hall of Fame awards. One to Rahul Bajaj, who had come, and one to the Bullet. So he mm. had come to accept mm. the mm. award. Mm. We said, you just come, it will make your day. He didn't know. We had not told him that. So when he was over the moon at that time. Yeah, so as a person, he was a brilliant representation of the brand. And he still is. Today, when you go for rides, Siddharth Lal is there. He's there yeah. and he's riding, and he's riding with, yeah. with you. And he's, he's riding, and he's, and he's riding with you. He's riding at the pace of the best guys in the business. I remember that the ah. Himalayan ride, hmm. we went to, it was 2015, we went into the Himalayas. Hmm. Yeah, Shimla. Shimla out. Yeah. One hour, two hours into and the rained and it was a horrible. It started. It started with the sun out, yeah. and we went down the road and it started drizzling, <laughs> and then it started hail, and then it started snowing, and then we were just riding through this freezing cold. And he was there. He was there, running in the top five, uh, on the top five uh, bikes over there. And yeah. journalists, at least the top five journalists, top ten journalists are good riders. Yeah. Yeah. So he's actually 
a good He's rider there, yeah. uh, a good representation of the brand red shoes and all of that and that leads me to Shirish, if you do not know how your rear end slides on a bike you will never know how a bike handles yeah. and is it safe or not yeah. that's fundamental to two wheels and that is what i always feel you have to steer a company also you need to know how you need going. to listen to your bum yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> it's all the seat of the pants yeah. that's the phrase you know so coming to the merchandise which you're talking about Rollinfield started off in a small no, so way. So community, yeah. community, they got the community going. When yeah, I think the community came yeah, first. Yeah, the yeah. community. The, when they saw the community, they suddenly saw all these Rollinfield guys going and coming with those late uh, flags. flags and whatnot. There has got to be something. It was like religion. Wasn't it one of your overdrive? Yes, people yes. Who, who really yes, started yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. It was rider mania. Yes, right? yes. And so Sachin Chavan, who. Uh, who didn't bring the bike back from the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I, I must tell you one thing about that. And again, this is, yeah, it broke down there. Oh. <laughs> and since you know about that, so let's not get there. But Sachin Chavan had made him for himself a leather overcoat. That leather overcoat weighed more than the bike, I think. <laughs> so that is when I think probably Sachin understood when he joined Royal Enfield to look after the rights part of it at that time. And then slowly develop the community. So what happened from there? What is the essentials to going to lay? You need a warm and a comfortable jacket. Slowly, slowly these gloves. So slowly, slowly the bikes don't break down. All these things develop parallelly. And I've always seen one thing. No way can you give your apparel and your rights thing to the marketing department of a company. They say this are itna paisa kiya aur bike itne numbers nahi bike. We don't want that. No. It has to run in marketing guys have to do their job. Rides and uh, apparel is not the marketing guy's job. Rides and apparel as a merchandising team's job, they should do. And Royal Enfield is the only company to date in India which has adopted that and stood steadfast with that. And that's what's paying them dividends. If other companies are crying. They have to be blamed, not Royal Enfield. Royal Enfield showed everyone the way. And the gear is very good. And today's, yes, huh, today the gear is outstanding. So I took my, yeah, I, I took my Harley to the mountains. I was riding a Harley, a Pan America, and I was head to toe in. Apart from my Arai, I was head to toe in Royal Enfield gear with their Alpine styles, their gravity dry stuff. So it was probably. I, I, I would be, I would be surprised. I would be surprised if Harley sourced from Royal Enfield supplier. <laughs> from but very good quality, very yes. well priced. And the other stuff, the t-shirts and all of that, excellent stuff, like really cool stuff. Again, it is just like how we have our ethos here. We started with overdrive, we had t-shirts, but we have got with emo. Yeah. Different. You have to keep the flavor of the moment going. You cannot be static with that. So you look at their range, like how fashion, uh, we had a fall collection, we have a winter collection. Harley is taking that fashion ethos and making it very compatible to riders and India is biking country, at least for nine months in a year, if mm, not more. Mm, mm. So we need to, and they have got it all sussed out. And trust me across over there, for anyone else, I say Royal Enfield on one side and the rest of the industry on the other side, as far as community and apparel is concerned. I think one of his, one of their big business uh, division points mm. is uh, they've got, they've got it, uh, they've got a focus which is very clear. They won't. They don't want to sell volumes. Mm -hmm. They want exclusivity. To sell exclusivity and a, a certain price range no. of bike where they get a no. So again, yeah. What again? Like I said, when Pulsar started going all over the world, Royal Enfield followed Pulsar everywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. They said wherever, and he Sidlal himself admitted. He says wherever the Pulsar goes, we follow. So, but not in, to Africa and all that. No. South America, South America yeah. uh, your, um, uh, Southeast Asia. So wherever they are, South America is where they really made a big splash. And so much so that today, they have displaced Honda in the reckoning. And to displace Honda in the reckoning in that, and sh shall I tell you the best imitation, the best form of flattery. The Japanese have never invented anything. They only adopted and refined it and more. But the yeah, no, no, just a bit. So what I have, whatever I say today, there's a CB350 and a CB400 in Japan brought across because they made the highness or whatever there. Thanks to the. So what I'm saying is, guys, 
Indian manufacturers have to be applauded. Don't look down on look, Don't look down on them at all. So, we talked about Siddharth Lal, we talked about merchandise. Have you ever been to a rider mania? What was your experience like? Yeah, I remember this. This is going way back. I think 2003 or four, one of the first ones. And I got this call from my friend Sachin Chavan and he said, Come on, Rishad, we want you on the ride. And I said, but, but what do I ride? You know, he said, Don't worry, I get a bike specially for you from Chennai and all that. And the bike came. And I took one of our colleagues just now, Behram Godrej, and we went on this ride. And we started in, uh, started from Pune, near the university. Two up, huh? Two up. Two up. Two up. <laughs> and going to Bombay. Uh, it was at Panvel. At Panvel. Mm-hmm. And we started from uh, this place near university. And <laughs> Behram and me, and we were having a great time. We went down the ghats and we were right in front of everyone. And there will be about another 100 it. bikes or something behind Yeah, you. they were all behind. We yeah. were number one. Yeah. And we were having a blast. Huh? And then suddenly, huh. we reached down and around Kapoli, pop! <laughs> and that was it. And the bike just uh, stopped. stopped. So I coasted to the side. <laughs> I said, now this is going to be real embarrassing, like everyone's coming, like, you know, five minutes behind. So I told Behram, look, Behram, just wait a minute, don't do anything, don't look at the bike, put it on the stand. And I got out the camera and I said, we're taking photos. So everyone said, hey, look, they were coming to stop. I said, no, no, go, 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 we're just taking photos. He let everyone go. And, and then I said, okay, now let's look at the bike. And I looked. And the carburetor come out from the bellows. Come out from the man- <laughs> manifold and was hanging. Now put it back in and started. So there's a lesson for everyone out there. If you see a royal Enfield stop and someone taking photographs, you know what has happened. <laughs> but I should tell you that on a royal Enfield, if you stop on the road, you won't have to wait for more than ten minutes until somebody will come and yes, help you out. Yes. It most probably most often That's it the is the mechanic itself. That is the brotherhood, the biker brotherhood, where royal Enfield excels in that. And they will help you out. So mm-hmm. you and another thing is that a royal field very easy to, to uh, sort anyone out. can yeah. sort out the issues. So there was a time when Rollingfield talked about having the world's highest service station, but that was not because no, it was some marketing speak. It was they needed it because of course everybody who went to the Himalayas went on a bullet, and a bullet would break down. So you had to get it sorted out somewhere. So that's why they had the world's highest, at least the bike uh, service station. Changing now, though. What I'm saying is that. See, this is what adds to the lure and the legend of the machine. And we are talking bullet again. Huh? Yeah. And the mountains have been Rollinfield's territory. Kabza, yeah. no? Yeah, their, absolutely. Their own territory. You wouldn't look at a classic or something and think that this is a bike that you would take to the mountains. Especially now with the ADVs being booming. But that bike was so well suited to the mountains. Everybody cut their teeth in the mountains on the classic, on earlier Rollinfields. Right. Even now when you go, it's all these Rollinfields that are there for rent. That you go and ride up to Kardomara. But, but I must tell you something across over there. This is the thing about the macho stuff which I spoke about. Because we went to lay on lunar t- t- uh, 50s yeah. as well. And we went on the kinetic Honda as well. And uh, everyone thought us to be idiots. Which we were. Others would not have done it. <laughs> so you need to be a little wacky in the mind. But then everyone who goes... I think the bullet lent itself well to go across. One of the biggest things for for that pull was they uh, many riders used to say that look there's only this one bike which two up two hefty guys also and the bike still remains composed and handles and could carry luggage and could carry luggage, luggage. Yeah. luggage yeah. Yeah. otherwise the rest would all start bouncing around bottoming and you know yeah, yeah but, but yeah, two of y'all could not sit on a luna and go up to no we were all single yeah that's what i'm saying we, we were all single <laughs> we must have what you call repaired the luna engines five times from Pula to <laughs> lay it back <laughs> because it would seize and we were foolhardy here we just wanted to do it simple as that I wish those days we had video because this kind of stuff here, Lunas in the Himalayas, true, true, those days, true. Was video to be... Anyway, so lots of stories, we'll come to that. But the Himalayas led to the Himalayas. Okay, the key thing for Royal Enfield was how do you make yourself relevant in a changing atmosphere and what do you need to do to make yourself really focused on a bike which will do well, not just in India, but globally. I remember there was a talk... Within Royal Enfield, should we make a V-twin or should we make a parallel twin? And a lot of, in this, I think, uh, a lot of work happened with one previous uh, motorcycle racer, uh, Subhash Chandra Bose, who was the Bullet King. And uh, 
beautiful so, white flowing beard yes now he is <laughs> so subhash and his friend prashant uh, pk prashant who unfortunately no more uh, very good diehard motorcyclist he had a yamaha xs650 and they had taken the bike to chennai and that shown and a lot of work went there a pattern had also been made from there but again engineering was the weak point of royal enfield then they decided yes a v-twin is not in the royal enfield ethos even though royal enfield did make a 1000 cc v-twin in the 1920s they had that in their portfolio but 1920s and now mm-hmm. it so parallel twin british that is what uh, uh, really gets uh, strong in the subconscious so they decided on a 650 uh, they decided on a five, uh, twin cylinder parallel twin which could be made in 650 to about 800 cc mm-hmm. so we have not seen mm-hmm. the end of the thing so mm-hmm. there is quite a lot there and once they assembled this core team of experts from all around the world uh, and know? this we are going to the UK Tech Center. Yeah, the UK Tech Center. So, so, assembled so, so the UK Tech Center had to be there first mm. for them to have this. Mm. Harris performance got them going there. Mm. They saw the benefits of that. One of the greatest things, if you see, the in the ignition system of all these bikes, the wizards who have come have come from Japan. They have come from Yamaha and they are on full time. So everyone who works in the Tech Center are fully uh, full Royal Enfield employees. Hmm. They are no no consultants. No consultants. Yeah. And, and it's like the United Nations over there. I've been yes. there. Yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. you have the Japanese, you have the Italians, you have the yeah. Germans, you have the Brits, so, you have Indians. So what happens is that they got this best of all okay. worlds. But still they had to, what you call, get the menu right, the mix right. It had to taste right. It had to... And at the right price. Yeah. Main thing. The key thing. So this is what is very important. Rishad, what you said is so important. Because you can do everything and then you can get greedy. Mm. And that's it. Royal Enfield mm. did. Mm. But again, if you see the 650, unlike so many other bikes in that same capacity class, the way the electronics are configured are simpler than anything else. No, basically yeah. no electronics. No, no, not just that. They also thought, which are the bikes which have been customized the most in the world? Harley Davidson and Bullets. Yes. Okay. Mm. They didn't want to lose that character. Taking the electronics away to a great extent, there's no canvas mm. systems. They're just plug and play. All these things were very symptomatic of where the Royal Enfield character emerged from or was always there. And who's the custodian for that? Who calls the shots there on this front? I think it's uh, uh, there's Paolo, who's the engineering chief. There's Mark Wells, there's Sid himself. Uh, so there are these three, four guys. And they are all, all of them are motorcyclists here. Not just hands-on, they're motorcyclists. They ride the bikes in and out. And uh, so these, when they looked at that thing, they said, we have to develop it on those terms. There's no exotic stuff as such. See, it's simplicity personified. If you look at the bike, hmm. the 650, hmm. the Interceptor yeah. 650, not look at it, ride, ride it, it ride and it. the spec levels and everything. It's basically the Triumph Bonneville for, for the half the price. Yeah, absolutely. And no, it's, no, absolutely. It's almost as good what except no, for no. the electronics and a little no, bit. No, 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 not except what pleasure it gives you at half the price is double what you can get from the right. Triumph. Yeah, so let us look at it. That so there's that many more buyers. Yeah. Here. No, but what I'm saying is it has opened a new universe for Royal Enfield. Yes. It had to happen. So once you taste blood, and I, let me tell you, we have got two 650s now from Royal Enfield. I think there are plans to have at least four different variations which will be spawned on that. Mm-hmm. So, exactly, you look at the classic Triumph Bonneville range, where it's gone through. It doesn't require rocket science or genius to understand where this yeah. thing will also go. So, with the Inter 650, Interceptor 650, we've jumped ahead a couple of years. So, let's jump back. You have the UK Tech Center, which is in Brunting Top, which is in the heart of UK's, the Midlands, where yes. you have all the, that engineering. The automotive resource. engineering. That was the first bike to come out of there. Was actually the Himalayan? No, not necessarily. No. Continental GT. No, Continental GT was the first. So, the Conti GT was the first. Yes. After that, the Himalayan. Himalayan. Yes. Yeah. So, let's talk about the Himalayan. 
Rollinfield's first proper ADV motorcycle. Though they, every motorcycle was actually ridden like ADVs, this was the first proper ADV they motorcycle. They understood that people were going to the mountains. They need a bike for they, the they mountains. Need, they needed a bike for the mountains. But the Himalayan at the start wasn't like wasn't proper. Well, yeah. what I'm saying is it was. It was a good start. No, what I'm saying. Even Triumph didn't make a Himalayan like that. So, <laughs> these guys had to go through that trial and error route. Hmm. Uh, also, very differently, road bias machines which what the 650s were. Uh, the people and if you see most British bikes, even the in their heydays in the 50s and 60s, the off-road bikes were basically the on-road bikes with mudguards removed, high travel suspension and a raised handlebar. That was all the concession given to off-road riding and which is what? The bullets did to go to Leh and Ladakh mm -hmm. as well. So it took some time for even Siddharth Lal to adjust his riding style to the mm -hmm. Himalayan. I'll say one thing in the favor of the Himalayan. Hmm. All told, hmm. yes, it could have the engine could have been quicker, more hmm. power. It could have been, it could have been lighter. That was the yes. biggest thing yes. for me. Yes. But the chassis hmm. was very sweet. The bike, even off road. I remember I, I was riding an Impulse which I took off-road quite a few times at the same time around when it launched and the Impulse was brilliant. Oh, yes. It was just amazing off-road. But above 60, 70, it was... Yeah, it, it was hit a wall. It, it, it hit a wall. Whereas the Himalayan was very stable. The chassis... They yeah, that's right. From but it, it had to be. It had yeah. to be. The, so, whatever the right attributes are there for adventure bike, you need to have solid planted feel. Yeah. Without it getting skittish, you know. But they had, they had, were beset more by quality problems than by design issues. The design was perfect. The build put together quality was a little iffy. We had frames breaking off at the uh, yeah. stem. Uh, and uh, So, okay, but the, those were issues. They, but they have uh, recovered from there massively. And if you look at the way they listen... I would love to have an upright bike in our traffic situation. The it's scram best. The, the scram was perfect in that respect. And is perfect in that respect. Yeah. And so we so got to look forward to the bigger one now. So the, the 450. Himalayan. The 450 Himalayan is coming. Uh, Siddharth Lal put it on his Instagram. Then everybody I have, I have something. I have something in my mind which... I don't know how far it's confirmed or not. But there is a strong, strong feeling that Enfield has... The Dakar in its size. No way. Yes. Really, yeah? Yes. So okay, then, you heard it here first. <laughs> so yes. Well, uh, how will they do it? I don't know. But it's a great thought to have that as a target, and you try to make a bike which eventually could go there. Whoa. Which is very important. The thought is very important. It yeah, starts with that. Unbelievable. Sure they yeah. do it. Yeah. And they should. Hey, touch wood. Yeah. Hopefully it happens. Yeah. yeah that's to digress a little bit, hmm. we, we we don't, people don't talk about how much KTM hmm. being uh, an Indian, being an Indian uh, part Indian owned, yeah. owned company, yeah. Yeah. so much motorsports hmm. and it's India. So yeah. why can't, if, if, if in if, India, why can't Royal yeah, the, 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 No, no, just a minute. KTM has different. They are selling whatever they want. It's KTM has become a commodity. With the commodity, if they still had kept motorsport, bike sport, as it's focused strongly in India, it would have been a different. They didn't. They're selling very well. They're happy about that. So that is their way of looking. Royal Enfield is a challenger brand. It is the thing where they have to do, go on different avenues. I'm rooting for them, come what may, make yeah, a bike actually, to go to the... Okay, challenger in motorsport. Mm -hmm. But in terms of numbers... Everybody wants Royal Enfield numbers. Everybody wants Aisha's just share price. Just, just, no, no, no. Just, just, it's very important. Numbers and profit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the key thing is, the Dominar came in and they said, let's what you call hit the lumbering elephant. The yeah. Okay. What has happened to the Dominar? They never, it was a wrong example to picture. The Dominar is a great bike. It's a wonderful bike. It's a great bike. Fantastic bike. Very differently and stupidly positioned. I think that look at what is happening. Triumph is wanting to get into Royal Enfield Turf 350. Mm. Honda, I, mm. I wouldn't be surprised. I've heard Norton also wanting to do the same thing. Mm. BMW has done almost the yeah. same. So the catalyst is 
the 350 classic sort of bike which Royal Enfield epitomizes to this day. And everyone now, whether you like it or not, is the Raj in reverse and the Indians have done what they are doing for motorcycling. Yeah, so we've missed talking on the Interceptor 650, so we just quickly talk about it. Uh, that's a global motorcycle, it's not just for India, obviously done in the UK as well as in India, styled really well, simple like you spoke about and fantastically turned out. I don't think they expected it to be so good. Yeah? Super it, performance. And it, for that price, powerful. Excellent. It, it's powerful, it's fun, it's reliable. Most doesn't spew oil. Mm, mm, sounds And good. it does not genuine 100 miles an hour. Not just that, look at the transmission, the gears click into place perfectly. Mm. The joy of the controls, the tactility over there. It has taken Royal Enfield one century ahead, you know. Yeah. I think the styling also, it's a very uh, natural evolve natural. Uh, for well, them. Yeah, Coming yeah, from the classic yeah. 350. Yeah. A, you know, where do we very, go from it's here? Very, it's a very feel-good thing. You yeah, want to make a new bike, but, but it's got me, to look something but let me tell you one different. More but one, this one yeah. fits in. Again, perfectly. in this, what you said this, Royal Enfield has not shied away from doing outlandish uh, tanks, graphics and whatnot. You look at their uh, anniversary versions which they made. Even the colors. The, yeah. That's what I said, colors and the graphics. Look at that anniversary version they made. That black thing with the golden accents and whatnot. Stunning machine. You have to play with all these accents and whatnot. Look at the thing on the uh, Scram. Look at the thing on the Hunter. Look at the graphics across over there. I think they have sussed this out really well. And that gave them the confidence to do the J-Series platform. And I, I just want to digress one more thing. Viham. Okay, let's talk J-Series first, then I'll get to the, okay. because it has a relevance across the board. Yep, so the J-Series replacement to their old, old existing motorcycles. And also sweetly engineered, refined, and that was the bike that the Highness that we're talking about wants to take on. Except most places when we did comparison tests, the Meteor was the nicer motorcycle. Right. Sure. We recommended sure, absolutely over a Honda, right. which you would not think it would be possible, right? Except for the emotions. You would not think that you would recommend a Royal Enfield no, over a Honda. Highness came across yeah. as a wannabe. No, because no, not you just got that. the CD styling. Right. It's a street bike. Right. It should have had a short stroke engine where you got that vroom, you know. Instead, you got this bike. You it's know, a Honda, street bike, but, but it's Honda has uh, its track record. If you see, they have copied other manufacturers do well. They had the VTR 1000 V twin Firehawk, which copied the Ducati. I had that VTR Firehawk with me. For many years. So they have always, but they have never kept faith with it because then it didn't. Why buy a Ducati made by Honda when you can buy a Ducati itself? Mm -hmm. Same way like this, why buy a Royal Enfield made by Honda when you can buy a Royal And Royal Enfields can hold their own, which Honda forgot in this instance. Now, the bread and butter for Royal Enfield has always been the Classic 350. That's the one that brings them the volumes, the money, everything. They also upgraded the Classic 350 with the J Series platform. Do you, what do you think of the... Shall I tell you one thing? It's not just what they did was an all-new bike. Hmm. It looks like the old. It has those inspired features from the original bullets. But in every aspect, chassis, of, uh, the engine mounting, the uh, suspension, the ride. Just see the riding position on that bike. Perfect. It is super, super. I'm not a meteor type of rider, but the classic 350. Outstanding, right. outstanding, and I think when you look at that, what happens is it feels so natural coming from anyone, else and you are safe, sound, and you are reveling in it. You know, it's simple motorcycling. Sim simplicity is at the to essence the of it all, yeah. and that has now evolved into the Hunter 350, which is what no, it's not not this. evolved. It's an extension of that platform. Extended it's not evolved okay. because both will. There are now three different menu options on the 350 platform for uh, Royal Enfield customers. Mm -hmm. So the Meteor is for the Ladakhi guys who want to go and tie their flags and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> the classic 350 is for uh, idiots like me who really love it to bits. The Hunter 350 is also there for my son also would like to uh, uh, thrash it off. We did it, we rode in Bangkok. One of the key elements it's about 10 kilos lighter than the classic. Mm -hmm. How does 10 kilos? 
they just got 3 kilos only from the tires themselves tires think, and wheels i think this would be the bike that brings royal enfield to the cities yes it makes is. it, it, it makes it, it perfect it, for the city it is an urban tool you and, know and the way she handles the bikes all the media ride bikes were on seattas they were outstanding and i just then i was talking with one of the other journalists i said what how will she handle if we put mezzilas or pirellis on the thing will just go to a different level but the seats themselves were outstanding and it was drizzling in bangkok at that night when we went through the tight uh, streets and what not it's a bag of fun and really the crispness of the power delivery the feeling on the saddle the right position where foot brakes uh, seat handlebars the view ahead the very small minor quality and, and and attention so to I'm, detail so now your i'm switches, coming yeah your levers the levers are no more no more those thin no, ones no, you know no, they got no, that no. little fatness in the in the profile which saying, gives you a different feel maybe you know? i said i'll come to that one other thing there we talk about uh, uh, apparel and cup, but look at their accessory list mm. there is another department now they had a full range of accessories for the hunter and when you look at that on the hunter there are two different models with two different just to give one idea of what is there one hunter has got different sorts of uh, rear view mirrors which are the traditional ones one has the uh, bar and mirrors and then they had the accessory mirrors that's a work of art you got to see the engineering behind that so what i'm saying if they have gone to that level and there are so many other things around the bike i think why should a company not succeed hmm. Hmm. okay so we have to end this i think this has gone well over an hour also but it's been interesting adil and rishad let's end with what is the future for royal enfield let's start with you rishad i would hope to see royal enfield making uh, no, the same the same bikes <laughs> but lighter the same bike <laughs> but a bit lighter yes and and uh, Uh, yes i i'm really looking forward to the bigger uh, adv mm. from them the 450 i really got i've seen the photos look fabulous love to see that bike soon adil future future royal enfield has got its career growth path already sussed out they know what they're going to do there are going to be more versions on the 650 on the classic 350 platform on the new himalayan and those areas have all been it's already work in progress they know what they will do for me personally i would like to see for more uh, involvement of the consumer in india they need to tighten up their service and sales i go into a royal enfield dealership to buy a helmet that guy says i don't uh, sell helmets on credit cards in the morning because the guy the owner has kept the credit card machine <laughs> you cannot this is not representative of a modern day age a manufacturer who sells great machines and you cover up the the ownership and the buying experience is also got to what you call so that is one area now uh, i said this was the last question but i have to end with rollerfield has to do electrics the whole world i don't like do electrics. electrics i don't like that shocker i love but, electrics but they have to do electrics there is no yes. getting away from it but they are working in the, on it in the electric future how does rollerfield differentiate themselves from the other brands First and foremost, I've got to accept electrics first before differentiation comes in from anyone across over the world. Are you going to be riding electrics whether you like it or not? No, I will not. Yeah, I'll still, I'll like still be with my motorcycle, <laughs> petrol engine motorcycle. But electrics are going to be there. So if you had to, now you're pushed against the wall, you have to do an electric. What will you do? I'll buy a roller skate. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a challenge for Royal Enfield because they'll have to make a. Uh, an electric which has a very good range but it's that is fundamental that, it's a, yeah for, exactly you know exactly a, a long but that's touring. fundamental to bike. the electric bike anyone across over there but they are working said did mentioned that uh, there is a separate be an existential threat to royal enfield i don't think so i think the it, technology is evolving so fast very soon that will all be the good oh, for them to differentiate yeah. themselves There's right, always right ideas, now, no? No, but I mean, right now you could do even a scooter. Yeah, no, but why not? No. Yeah, but you know one thing: uh, everyone, every manufacturer is going to start from ground zero with electrics. Mm. Right. So how will right. I? So there's so so, so how if, different is it? How right. different can a Honda be from its own yeah. petrol engine? So in that sort of sense, 
I am not trying to what you call find the answer. I would like to know the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. That is how it should be. So, right. what do you guys think the electric roll and field should be like? Should it be a cafe racer? Should it be a scooter? Should roll and field do another brand name? So, should the Vincent Black Shadow be their first electric no. motorcycle? What do you guys think? Let us know in the comments below. And if you've enjoyed this edition of the Thrill of Driving, which is now the Evo India podcast, let us know in the comments. Give us a thumbs up. Share this video with enthusiasts. And let us know what you want to hear from Adil as well as Rishad on the next episode. We are going to now mix this up with bikes as well as cars. So we'll have a lot more of Rishad, the less of the team, Atish, Karan. They'll also be handling this podcast. So let us know what you guys want to hear about on the next podcast. Adil. Thank you very much. Happy 45th anniversary of being an Indian automotive journalist. Thank you for inspiring the rest of us. We all looked up to you. We all learned from you. Uh, Rishad, that is Autocar Days, was competing with you. <laughs> I learned from you back in our... You know what? Days. He came to ask for a job. We didn't have an opening. That's why he went there. Ah, uh, Rishad. <laughs> Thank God you didn't hire him. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but uh, it's been... Brilliant talking to... It's always a learning learning yes. to be with. Uh, it's what, it's 6 o'clock in the evening. We started off at 4 o'clock. Obviously, there'll be some edits on this thing. And we didn't know where the time went. And I hope the same for you guys. Let us know if this is too long. If we should do the next month a little shorter. We would love to hear from you guys. We love your comments. And obviously, we'll try and make this more regular. So, Adil, thank you very much. Rishad, thank you, thank you thank for you. being on the podcast. Thank you, Adil. This is known as the thumb. And we'll be thumping you with a lot of great stuff. (laughs) Thank you guys for watching and listening to us.